This, uh, this video was shot in Davis Square, so maybe you recognize those bricks. Uh, one guy didn't want to be uh, caught on camera, so he was the talking bricks guy. Um, but uh, does Jesus Christ matter today? Who is Jesus Christ? For some, Jesus is simply a prophet, a good man, a, good man, a great moral teacher. For others, he is Savior. He is Lord. Does he matter today? Some say he is irrelevant, a mere afterthought. For others, he is everything. He is life. Over the next couple of months, we're going to explore the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and provide some arguments and some answers on why we believe he matters. A whole lot matters today. Um, perhaps you received one of these over the past few weeks. These are our invite cards that we have distributed as widely as possible to let people know that a new church was here in Medford. And on the front of the card, we have a quote by C.S. Lewis that says this, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. You see, this statement by Lewis reflects the truth that we find on the lips of Jesus in Matthew 13, 44. So if you would, open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. If you'd like to use one of the Bibles that we provided for you under your seat, it's on page 819. 819. See, Matthew is the first Gospel in the first book of the New Testament. In his gospel, which simply means good news, he details the life of Jesus Christ. From his birth to his miraculous works and authoritative preaching, all the way to his unjust death and glorious resurrection. This morning we're going to zoom in on one brief but powerful moment from the life of Christ. In Matthew 13, we have a series of seven straight parables. Jesus is going to say seven times, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. And Jesus used these parables to teach spiritual lessons by way of analogy. We're going to tackle one of those parables this morning. And it's just one simple verse that I believe packs an explosive punch on why we were created in our pursuit of satisfaction. And so if you would listen to Matthew 13, 44, read along with me, if you will. Jesus says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure, hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. You see, Jesus makes a staggering claim in parabolic form here in Matthew 13. He says this, The kingdom of God is so supremely valuable that we should joyfully sacrifice everything to possess it. The kingdom of heaven is so supremely valuable that we should sacrifice everything to possess it. The first truth I want us to see this morning from our parable is, is this. The kingdom is supremely valuable 
because of the worth of its king. The kingdom is supremely valuable because of the worth of its king. You see, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure, hidden in a field. Burying one's valuables was a very common practice in the time of, of Jesus. You know, we today take our Benjamins to the bank, right? In Jesus' time, they often took their valuables and hid them in fields because that was the safest place to store valuables. We even see this in other places in the gospel, Matthew 25. Jesus talks about this practice. And so Jesus takes this practice and he uses it to teach a spiritual truth about the kingdom. He says the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ is like treasure. And when we see this phrase, kingdom of heaven, it's synonymous with the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ. And the very fact of the kingdom, you say, well, Tanner, why are you talking about the worth of, of, of its king? I don't see king in the text. Well, the presence of a king is obviously implicit in the fact that there's this kingdom. A kingdom is not much of a kingdom if it doesn't have a king. And so how do we know that this king, this God that we're talking about and singing about and singing to this morning is of infinite worth? Listen to this. God is the sovereign creator who reigns by exercising complete authority, graciously sustaining all things, and extending his redemptive love and mercy to all people. So let's just break that down for a moment. God is the sovereign creator. This means that God is the uncreated creator who spoke the world into existence. This is what the Bible says about God. He's the sovereign king. He's the creator of all things. He is the king, and he reigns by exercising complete authority. We can say simply that, that he calls the shots. What he says goes. This, this world is not spinning out of control. God is exercising his authority, even when we may think that the world has just gone really, really, really crazy, really, really bad. Jesus always has the last word. He has complete authority. He also graciously sustains all things. See, our lungs are filled with the breath of life. Our hearts are pulsating because God is sustaining us in this very moment. God is independent, self-existent, and self-sufficient. He has no needs unlike us. Everything depends on him. And he also reigns by extending his redemptive love and mercy to all people. I hope you find this encouraging this morning. God is not a king who is detached from the needs of people. No, God actually enters our brokenness. He offers hope and restoration and redemption to all people through Jesus Christ. Though the king of the kingdom may be implicit in the text, what is certainly explicit is the worth of the king, the worth of this kingdom. Because Jesus says that the kingdom is like treasure. Now, just think about your life for a moment. We all pursue that which is valuable, right? We, we pursue, we go after that which we think is going to benefit us. That which we find attractive. We pursue what we believe will satisfy. 
And this is what 17th century French philosopher Blaise Pascal said, meant when he said this, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both. Attended with different views, the will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. We all seek happiness. We all seek pleasure. And we believe that there's a reason for this. This is how God has created us. He's created us with desire. He's created us to pursue pleasure. He's created us to see what is truly valuable and to rightly respond. Since he, as the sovereign king, is of infinite value, he created us to find our ultimate pleasure and satisfaction in him. This is what the gospel story is all about. It's about a God who creates and loves and who creates us to worship him, to glorify him. All throughout this scripture, we see that we were created for God's glory. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, who I formed and made. Speaking of Jesus in Colossians 1, 15 and 16, Paul writes, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, whether visible or invisible, rulers, authorities, dominions, powers, all things were created by him and for him. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, sums up in comprehensive fashion. He says this, So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. See, God gives us the privilege of pointing to and responding to his greatness. Our job is to reflect the greatness and the glory of God by the way that we live our lives on a daily basis. This is what it means to worship, seeing and responding to the greatness and glory of God. Worship is simply our response to what we value the most. Think about that. You might even want to write that down. Worship is our response to what we value the most. Can I ask you this morning, do you see Christ as supremely valuable? When we see Christ as supremely valuable, we will respond. This is exactly what happens in the parable. Look at it again. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found. Here is the response. He finds it, he sees it, and he responds. What does he do? Well, first he covers it up. And this may raise a question for some of you careful readers out there. Is he being unethical? He's covering up this treasure. Apparently it didn't belong to him in the first place. What's going on here? Well, well three things. Number one, uh, first there was a provision in Jewish law that says this. It, when a man found scattered fruit or scattered money, these belong to the finder. Okay? If that's not enough for you, let's consider a couple other things. Second, we know that the treasure did not belong to the owner. Otherwise, he would have never sold the field, right? Third, if he was not an honest man, we can assume that he would have taken the treasure and left 
never bothering to buy the field. And so Jesus tells this parable, not for us to press the details, but I think that that is a legitimate question that sometimes may be raised as we read this passage. He finds the treasure and he responds accordingly. And it's here that we find our second truth this morning. He not only finds the treasure and covers it up, but then it says, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The second truth I want you to see this morning is this. The kingdom is supremely valuable because it outshines all other competitors. The kingdom is supremely valuable because it outshines all other competitors. You see, if we're being honest this morning, we realize that there are many people, many pursuits in our life that compete for our allegiance, our attention, our affection, our worship. A constant battle rages for what we treasure. We always are worshiping something. We are always valuing something in our hearts supremely. The Bible shows us over and over again that while people were created by God to love Him and to serve Him and to know Him and to worship Him, all people without exception, all people without exception, including pastors, have failed to glorify God in the way that they should. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How does this happen? We treasure other competitors more than we treasure God and His will, His desires for our lives. You see, we understand that everything, check this out, everything that was created by God was good. Sometimes we assume that there are things that we see in creation that are inherently evil, but in reality, everything that God made was good. How could it be any other way? What happens is, is that we put our grubby little paws on that which God has made and we do evil things with those good pieces of God's creation. Here's a danger. We take good things and we actually make them bad things. You say, how do, you, how do we do this, Tanner? Well, one way is not just simply kind of, I know you're thinking, hey, there's just so much overt sin in the world, people pursuing things that are obviously everyone, you know, certain things 100% of us would agree that are just evil, right? But hopefully that's not where, you know, most of us are living day in and day out. So what happens just in kind of the temptation of everyday life? Well, we take good things and we make them bad things when we make them ultimate things. You see, we have the propensity in our heart to treasure these good things that God has created more than the Creator Himself. We take God's good gifts and we treasure them, we worship them more than the giver of those gifts. Think about some of the competitors for our allegiance. How about relationships? I think we probably all have relationships here in this room. It may be family, a wife, a husband, a daughter, a son, a mother, a father. 
We have friends, right? Some of us have significant others. Your boo, maybe you're sitting beside this morning, I don't know. We have relationships, right? We have pursuits in life, ambition. Most of us have to work, right? We're chasing after success. Perhaps many of you college students are chasing after a degree, education. We also pursue pleasure. Most of us like to eat. Most of us enjoy leisure. Think about any pleasure, sex, any pleasure. We take the good things that God has made and we make them ultimate things when we treasure them more than we treasure God. As great as all those pursuits may be, they will fail to deliver lasting satisfaction. If you don't believe this, just read the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. King Solomon. I mean, if anyone was on top of the world, it was King Solomon. He had it all. He had more wisdom. He had more money, more power, more prestige, more women than anyone in his day. And what did he say? He said that it is vanity, meaningless, a chasing after the wind. It doesn't provide lasting satisfaction. Now, don't hear me say that we are not to enjoy the good gifts that God gives. I mean, I love, I love my wife, Marsha. I love our little two-year-old girl, Parker. I love our soon-to-be newborn, Kessid. I love a lot of things in this life. I love coaching basketball at Medford High with my boy, Coach White, back there. I love spending time with friends, many of you. I love the Red Sox, even though we're one in six. Is that right? Yeah, one in six. Seven. Oh, it's getting worse. One in seven. <laughs> Sunday night baseball, let's tune in. Let's just not treasure the Sox more than Jesus. We love a lot of things, right? I love books. I love coffee. I love pizza. I love going down to Amici's in West Medford, eating pizza. But here's, here's our job. We are to not allow any of those loves any of those lesser loves to eclipse our love and pursuit of God. We are, as Augustine taught us, St. Augustine said that we are to have ordinate loves. He understood that there are inordinate loves and ordinate loves, and that simply means that we are to order our loves rightly. This is what Jesus is teaching us in this parable. And this is exactly what happens. Did you see this? We can clearly see that the man in the field, he valued the treasure more than everything else in his life. The plot thickens here. We see that after he covered it up, it says, in his joy, he went and sold all that he has. Now let's just stop for a moment. Are you surprised to hear Jesus say, in his joy? I mean, joy, is that really compatible with Christianity? I mean, I thought, I thought, I thought Christianity was like just a, a straight jacket that just, you know, bounds us by its set of rules. It can't be joyful, can it? It's boring, it's dull. Christians on the weekends just sit around playing board games, right? 
I mean, apologies for those of you who love board games. You can come over and play Monopoly on Thursday night if you want. <laughs> Jesus says that the kingdom is about joy. I live much of my Christian life not understanding. Even as a Christian now, even as a Christian, I live my life thinking that joy was the icing on the cake of the Christian experience. I thought that if I did enough things to please God, keep his commands good enough, kind of read my Bible enough during the week, that somehow, some way, maybe I would experience joy. When Jesus says, look, this is should be the whole experience of the Christian life. It's all about joy. This is the thing that I love about God. He doesn't separate His glory from our joy. I could almost hear some of you saying, man, doesn't it seem a bit narcissistic of God to create all things for His glory and for everything to be about the worship of Him? Well, what else would we have him do? If he is the highest good, the highest treasure, the only one who is of infinite value, he knows that we will only experience lasting satisfaction and joy and purpose and meaning and, 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 and you name it in this life if we find all of that in him. The Westminster Catechism says this, the chief, chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is why we were made. God doesn't separate His glory from our joy. The Christian experience should be one of joy day in and day out. So we joyfully live life, but it says that this man joyfully sacrificed all that he had. He went and he sold it all. If he had clothes, sold. Cars, sold. A house, Sold. 10,000 shares of Goldman Sachs, sold. He sells it all. Shouldn't surprise us that we find these words on the lips of Jesus because he said that the heart of discipleship is actually about sacrifice. In Luke 9.23, he said this to his would-be followers, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. In other words, Jesus expects those who follow him to sacrifice their desires for his desires, their will for his will. And I love what Matt Chandler says to kind of help us grasp this this morning, because hopefully some of you are kind of thinking about your life, even maybe counting the cost. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to embrace Christ? This is what Chandler says. The kingdom of heaven, the rule and reign of the omnipotent God of the universe over our souls is so infinitely valuable that the loss of everything on earth in order to get it is a happy transaction. To treasure Christ is to welcome his rule and reign in our lives to the point where it touches everything. Jesus changes the way that we talk the way that we think, the way that we treat those of lesser privilege in this life. Jesus changes the way we work, the way we parent, 
the way that we play, the way that we view life, the way that we view death. To treasure Christ truly and to embrace him truly is to treasure him more than anything that life can give or that death can take away. More than anything that life can give or death can take away. So we see that the kingdom is supremely valuable because of the worth of its king. The kingdom is supremely valuable because it outshines all other competitors. And finally, the kingdom is supremely valuable because it delivers the greatest reward. The kingdom is supremely valuable because it delivers the greatest reward. So before we jump into this last truth of Jesus' parable, let us, let us clear up just one more potential misconception. You have Jesus saying that a man finds a treasure, covers it up, and his joy sells all he has, and he goes and buys the field. Now let's not jump to the conclusion that we in any way can buy the kingdom. We cannot buy God's love. We cannot buy God's grace. I mean, it's grace because it's unmerited. It's free. We have to take Jesus' parable here. See, a parable was typically given to teach one main point. And so a danger is to press the details of the parable and to come to conclusions that Jesus never meant for us to arrive at. See, that conclusion would not square with the very first beatitude, the first blessing that Jesus pronounces in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, if you want the kingdom, you need to be poor in spirit. In other words, you need to recognize your spiritual poverty, understanding that you really don't bring much to the table except for your idolatry and sin. You've blown it, man. But the beautiful thing is that God doesn't leave us in that place. He sent Jesus to live the life that we should have lived, died the death that we should have died, so that everyone who sees him as infinitely valuable and responds to him in repentance and faith might have life in him, abundant life and eternal life. That's how we gain the treasure. That's how we buy the field. And so let's not assume that we can buy the kingdom. We simply see its value and gladly sacrifice anything that stands in our way of possessing it. See, this is the climactic moment in the story. He sells it all so that he can buy the field. The treasure now belongs to him. You say, Tanner, how can we know that the kingdom of Christ delivers the greatest reward? Let me just give you a few. We could build a list quite long, but here's just a short list. How does the kingdom of Christ deliver the greatest reward? Number one, because it restores the rightful reign of God in our hearts. God is king. He created us to know him and to worship him. And so when we see Jesus as infinitely valuable, we will then allow Christ to rule and reign in our hearts as Lord. Number two, it realigns our worship to its proper place. We now fulfill our created purpose and glorify God just like he intended for us to. This is what happens when we buy the field. Number three, it enables us to experience lasting satisfaction in all the blessings that Christ gives. Are some of you looking for peace this morning? I mean, maybe you're just going through it. I mean, our our family, we've, we've gone through a difficult time lately. How do you have peace in the midst 
of the worst trials in life, the great, life's greatest challenges. Well, to know God, to understand that he's in control, to know that he is going to iron out all the details in the end, gives peace. Some of you may be looking for joy. We've talked about joy. Christ gives joy. Christ gives us a new hope. Christ gives us love that, like we've never experienced before. And some of you are looking for love because you've never experienced unconditional love. God loves his people, not based on what we can offer him, but just because he loves us. Is there anything standing in the way of you gaining the kingdom? and joyfully experiencing the treasure of Jesus Christ. Whatever it is, whatever relationship, whatever pursuit, whatever ambition, I would encourage you, Jesus is better. After Jesus called people to deny themselves and take up the cross and follow him, he added these words. He says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake We'll save it. We'll gain it. You see, when it comes to God's economy, to the divine mathematics, in our pursuit of the kingdom of Christ, subtraction is addition, and loss is gain. Listen to this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says this, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward, and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We are half-hearted creatures. Like ignorant ch children, we want to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is offered us by a holiday at the sea, by a vacation at the sea. Lewis says, we are far too easily pleased. How strong are your desires this morning? Are you far too easily pleased? Let me give you two final reasons why it's a good move. A good move to sell everything and buy the field. Number one, as we've said, this is summary, lesser pursuits never satisfy. Other competitors ultimately fail to deliver lasting satisfaction. Number two, Jesus is the ultimate gain. There's no greater treasure than knowing God through Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate gain of this life and the next. I'll close with this story. Jesus in Luke 18 encounters this rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus says, Keep the commandments. The rich young ruler actually thinks that he has it all together. He didn't hear this sermon this morning, or many of Jesus' sermons. And so he thinks he has it all together. And so actually Jesus, instead of kind of pointing out his numerous faults and shortcomings, he says, okay, well, one thing you lack. 
Go and sell all of your possessions and give it to the poor and then come, follow me. And the rich young ruler, it says that he was saddened because he was a man of great wealth. In other words, he turned away. He continued to treasure a lesser pursuit rather than finding lasting satisfaction in Christ. That's not the end of the story, though. There is the loud-mouthed disciple we know as Simon Peter. And he says, hey, Jesus, what about us? Look in Luke 18, 28 through 30. This is what Peter says, and here's Jesus' response. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. Do you, do you hear what he's saying? What about us? This is what Jesus says. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time, in this life, and in the age to come eternal life. As we're exploring the power of Christian hope, here is the first claim this morning. Jesus delivers lasting satisfaction and the greatest reward because he gives us the greatest treasure in the gift of himself. All of us are on a journey here this morning. Many today are probably believers in Christ. You're Christian. Others maybe are searching. You're searching for truth. You're searching for satisfaction. I want to say continue Please come back. Continue on this journey as we explore why Jesus matters today. Others of you may have doubts. You may be quite skeptical of the claims of Christ. And we love you too. We want you to bring your doubts, bring your skepticism, and explore the claims of Christ together. It's my prayer that each of us, all of us, will find lasting satisfaction, and the greatest treasure that life can give in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for every person that's here. So encouraging to be here together. And Lord, we thank you that most of all you're here and that you speak to us in some strange and mysterious way through your word. And Lord, I pray that we would consider the claims of Christ in this parable, that we would see you as the greatest treasure. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Your life, 